0: From the Asset Builder headquarters in Dallas, Texas, welcome to Keep It Simple, a show that discusses simple techniques and philosophies to help de-stressify investors around the world. I'm your host, Jared Herzog, and welcome to the show. Today, we're learning from our esteemed veteran registered investment advisor, Adam Morse, and our human economic database and fearless CIO, Michael French. And today, we're talking about inflation. We have all been bombarded, of course, with thousands and thousands of headlines about inflation, hyperinflation. What is going on? Are we headed for some sort of crisis? And also, how do we think about our portfolios? Should we be doing something in our portfolios to fortify against it? Michael and Adam discussed this, among a lot of other facets, regarding inflation. Guys, thank you so much for listening to our podcast. Keep it simple each and every week we have been getting your responses and corrections uh we did get a lot of responses from our social security episode we did get those uh corrections and it also spawned a lot of ideas for a lot of people concerning social security so we really appreciate all of those responses and we have been putting together episodes concerning that topic and of course much more all right ladies and gentlemen thank you once again let's get to the show Good afternoon, guys. How are y'all today? Doing I'm well. I'm doing great. Doing good. How are you, Jared?
1: Doing pretty good. You're looking relaxed today. Got the hat on. Yeah. Taking it easy. I like it. I like yeah. it. I like the white headphones.
0: Thanks. I just got them. Pretty slick, it's huh? Nice. Yeah, yeah. Th- those,
1: are, those are musician headphones.
0: You can tell that I'm not a
1: musician by the stock Apple headphones that come with the phone that I've had for probably two years.
0: Have you ever tried the AirPods or anything like that? I had one pair of
1: AirPods and they lasted me about two weeks because one fell out of my ear and the little, like tiny little metal port on the bottom that where it charges from cracked, and then I could never charge it again. Wow. I was like, if that's how if that's how fragile these things are, I can find a better way to spend a hundred bucks or whatever it was. So I've never gone back.
0: I've dropped mine a thousand times and never had that happen. You must have just had it oh, perfect I'm happy for angle. You congrats yeah just thought i'd mention that (laughs) (laughs) good for you if you want some apple earphone earpods you can have mine yeah sweet i'll take them ship them over all right so today we're talking about inflation this is a michael this is a michael subject because he's an expert on inflation and everything in general is that right michael
2: that's right i think one of the reasons we wanted to talk about inflation was simply uh you know it's been in the news a lot lately CPI came out, and uh, the government's now starting to say, "Hey, inflation might begin uh, affecting consumer prices." And so, uh, we've actually had clients start to say, "Well, in light of that, what do I need to do with my portfolio?" And so, we thought it was an important topic to discuss uh, Mm -hmm. because clients are asking. uh, We know that people who listen to this podcast may be asking those same questions. And so we want to provide some thoughts.
0: Now, Adam, just to be comprehensive, what exactly is inflation? Let's define it.
1: Yeah. So inflation is the tendency of the prices of goods and services to increase over time. So um, it's it's a quieter risk that investors face because it's not quite as explicit as volatility. Um, you know, it doesn't Doesn't make you hop out of bed scared, you know, to see the price drop of something. It's it's a silent killer, Um, and it can often take quite some time to show up. And because it happens gradually and incrementally, um, I don't think investors are always aware of it. Um, But it also does ebb and flow uh, over time, over long periods of time. And I think one of the reasons that it's it's, you know, Michael mentioned we're getting a lot of questions from clients right now, and I think one of the reasons for that is, is. Inflation has been really low um, in recent recent times relative to history, and so I think it's kind of fallen out of you know the the general collective thought uh, of the marketplace. And so as it as it starts to appear to be creeping back up, um, and we can look at a lot of fundamentals, we can look at obviously Fed policy. in, in over the last eighteen months, um, I think there's a lot of reason to believe that it's going to. It's going to become more prevalent uh, than has been and so i think it's it's a timely topic to discuss um yeah that's more than you asked for but inflation is just the the rise of of the cost of goods and services over time
0: so michael adam just mes- mentioned federal policy what other influences uh influence inflation so uh,
2: inflation is something that the like like adam said it's it's the the adjustment of prices, how prices move up and down, and it can be the price of anything, really. And so when you think about it, um, Fed and Treasury policy, governmental policy, uh, by and large, affects the supply of money. And so um, if there's more money chasing the same number of goods, uh, you might naturally have inflation. What other things affect costs? Well, uh, if the airline industry all of a sudden decided to cut the number of flights they're offering in half, then the cost per flight would go up. And so it's a supply and demand issue. Um, And and the supply of the good, if there's an abundance of supply or if there's a substitute, if you can have a good and you could pay uh, $2 for a good that you need, or you could pay $1.50 $1.50 for a good that works just as well. Uh, you know, the AirPod example, the AirPod conversation we just had. Um, why pay $100 when you can pay $40 for something that does the same thing? Well, does it do the same thing? All those questions. So there are a lot of things that impact whether or not a price is going to increase over time.
0: Right. Now we talked about, we're talking about inflation, but what we hear in the news is hyperinflation. So is that any different, Adam?
1: Yes. uh, Hyperinflation, and and Michael could probably speak to if there's a technical limit to what kind of is categorized as hyperinflation. uh, But hyperinflation is essentially runaway out of control inflation. There's actually some, you know, inflation is not an intrinsically, inherently bad thing. You actually need some inflation uh, to occur over time, you know, it's one of the concerns with cryptocurrencies nowadays is because there is a finite supply. How do you, how do you build in some healthy inflation over time? But hyperinflation uh, is is when that that momentum starts to run away in ways that the, the monetary system cannot possibly keep up with, right? It starts to outpace uh, earnings, it starts to outpace wages um, to to a ridiculous degree. The example I always use when I talk to clients. Um, pre-World War II Nazi Germany, uh, I'm sorry, post-World War I Nazi Germany, they had a massive problem with hyperinflation. And historians uh, attribute uh, their economic state to the, the rise of the Nazi party because they claimed to have answers to this and were willing to take drastic steps to get her in control when it, was, it cost you know, thousands and thousands of marks to buy a loaf of bread. And people simply couldn't do it. It's the devaluation to an extreme degree of the currency.
0: That is actually pretty interesting. Um, so, Michael, we, we wanted to talk about what goods and products are inflated today as you see it, such as, like, lumber and food. And
2: Yeah, so um, there's a lot of consumer goods that I think if you looked, you would say uh, prices have gone up. So, lumber, what you just said, is a good one. Um, six months ago, because it's COVID, or maybe it was longer than that, whatever, lockdown, I decide I'm going to build Adirondack chairs because I make chairs that are awesome. I'll send y'all pictures, see the show notes below. Also, if you'd like to purchase a chair. From <laughs> uh-huh. So uh, a couple a couple weeks ago, a friend of mine was like, hey, I really like those chairs because they're just that well constructed. Um, he was like, did you did you get the the plans from somewhere? Yeah, I got them offline. I told him what it cost me. You know, just hey, this is what the, the materials cost me. He goes and buys the materials, and it's literally I think 80 percent more just in six months that the price of lumber has gone up, um, specifically for what he needed. So that's that's one of the things, one of the things that we're seeing now. There are reasons for specifically why lumber has increased. This isn't a lumber show, so we won't talk about that. Um, If you think about housing prices, housing prices have gone through the roof in a lot of places recently. Um, uh, Where I live here in Austin, if you want to sell your home, you don't even have to put a for sale sign up. You just have to answer the door when random strangers come knocking saying, can I buy your home? It's it's crazy what people are willing to pay for your home. And honestly, the only reason you can't sell your home is where are you going to move to? You know, uh, it's you, you you'd sell your home and need to move into a different home, and I think that's pretty much happening across uh, across the state. So if you're a Texas resident, uh, you've seen this. So that's a view of inflation. Now, it it isn't necessarily reflected uh, in some of the numbers that we see. So, if housing in, uh, prices have increased 14 percent in your city. Um, well, that doesn't mean that the cost that you're paying for your mortgage has gone up by 14%. If you were a renter, uh, it's more likely that you've seen a housing, uh, a cost of housing increase. Um, and I think the thing that maybe people are most familiar with, but maybe don't really think about is the cost, um, that we are willing to pay today for a dollar of earnings in, for instance, the S and P 500. Um, so, Historically, if you think of what you would pay for a dollar of earnings, maybe you would have paid $14. Um, Today you're paying, I believe it's over $30 for um, that same dollar of earnings. And so that's inflated. That means that uh, the stocks that you're buying, you're paying more uh, historically than you would have had to pay for that same dollar of earnings. So there's just different things that we see in society around us that we can identify those prices are higher than they historically have been and they're trending upwards.
0: Now, Adam, just to, I don't want to say the word piggyback because it's very corporate jargon of me, but just to piggyback uh, what Michael just said. So why should investors care about this? Why should investors care about inflation? Sure. So What inflation essentially does is eat into
1: your return, right? So if you get equity returns to say ten percent over, let's just say ten years, right, ten percent annualized return, if inflation over that time period has been two percent and you did not hedge against that in any way, um, you essentially are taking home eight percent, right? Because the value of that return that you got was eroded by that inflation. Um, if you're, if you're, you know, not uh, this is, uh, I think most applicable to retirees that are on a fixed income that don't have earned income coming in uh you know over time at least the the hope would be in a healthy economy that wages would would uh, increase along with inflation but when you're retired you don't have earned income coming in and certainly we can look at social security uh, quote, unquote, inflation adjusted. Uh, Michael can touch on, I think, some of the shortcomings and the measures that are used to adjust for inflation and how it it falls short of what we really need. Um, So I think retirees are are most at risk. And if they don't plan for it, if they don't build in protections and safeguards into their portfolio, Inflation is simply going to eat into that they're going to be living on less and less income effectively over time. Even if the dollar amount stays the same, you're going to be able to buy fewer and fewer goods and services uh, as inflation takes hold. Now, as an example, right, especially for retirees, let's look at something like healthcare, right? So you, you can measure different expense patterns, uh, different types of goods and services. Um, they have different inflationary behaviors, right? So, uh, Michael talked about real estate, healthcare, and healthcare expenses associated with healthcare. Historically, are very well known to increase faster than the broader measures of inflation, right? So, broader than the average CPI. Now, to compound that problem, retirees consume more healthcare than just about any other group of of investors. So, you have this compound problem of the price of healthcare costs increasing at a faster than average rate. And at the same time, I'm needing to buy more and more of those services over time. So even if I have the same, let's say, you know, $40,000 coming in for my portfolio every single year for my million dollar portfolio, if I'm losing to inflation, I'm effectively, you know, in today's dollars living on, you know, year two, it's 39, five year, year three, it's, you know, 39, two and so on and so forth. So um, it just erodes your purchasing power and is going to result in a lower standard of living over time.
0: So, Michael, how do we hedge our portfolios? I probably phrased that wrong, but how do we hedge our portfolios so, I against mean, inflation?
2: I think you you um, the question you asked is is right. Uh, how do you hedge? How do you maybe what you what you really want to think about is what is the framework that I would use to look at Uh, A portfolio going forward. So let's take take a portfolio and let's break it into asset classes because you're going to have different approaches for different asset classes. So the first thing we look at is equities. So what are some things you can do in an equity portfolio as you look at inflation? Well, historically, when rates are low, uh, let me back up. Historically, once inflation hits, interest rates rise. And so, as interest rates rise, the cost of borrowing goes up. Um, as interest rates rise, the other thing that happens is your uh, your your current bonds that you hold uh, become less valuable, relative to new bonds that are being put out on the market. Why is that? Well, let's say you bought a bond two years ago and it was paying you 2%. Inflation hits. The standard rate now, instead of 2%, becomes 4%. Well, now, everybody collecting coupon payments is collecting $4 and you're only collecting two for the bond that you hold. Well, the bond that you hold is now effectively worth less even though they're both, let's say, issued by GE. So what are some things you can do? The first thing you can do is you can shorten the duration of your fixed income. You can say, well, I don't want to own these bonds for a really long time. Instead of locking myself into seven years of coupon payments, maybe I only want to lock myself into three years of coupon payments. Wait for rates to rise and then get those new new bonds. The other thing you can do is you can uh, look for a real return or a TIPS fund. And what that is, is a mutual fund that is invested in fixed income securities that pay not just an interest rate, but also a kicker for inflation. So they might have, instead of a 2% coupon, maybe they say, we're going to pay you 1.5 plus inflation. So, as inflation rises, uh, if inflation is 2%, percent they are gonna pay you 1.5 plus 2. If inflation goes up to 3, 4, 5%, they're gonna pay you 1.5 plus 2, 3, 4, 5. Um, so, it's a way to protect yourself against inflation. On the equity side, it's different. Um, again, as interest rates go up, There's two different kinds of companies, growth and value, that you would look at. And you would say, well, growth companies benefit from having lower interest rates. Value companies benefit from having uh, higher interest rates. And I shouldn't say they benefit as much as on a relative basis, they perform better when interest rates go up. So if you looked at your portfolio and you said, I'm overweight to growth stocks instead of value stocks, you would want to move so that you were invested more in value and less in growth. Uh, Another thing you could look at is commodities. Well, what happens when uh, inflation hits? If you are selling, let's say, iron ore, well, You can sell it for whatever the new price is. And so as prices go up, if you're an iron ore miner and you have the fixed cost of mining the iron and the fixed cost of producing whatever it is, that's great because then when you get to that end, you can charge whatever the market's willing to bear for that good. Um, Same thing for cotton or any other commodity so one of the things that we look at then is well who benefits uh, geographically and it's usually emerging market countries when inflation hits emerging market countries this is putting them all in a broad basket which isn't fair because there's different you know types of emerging markets but emerging Mm -hmm. markets by and large produce a lot of these goods where they have the ability to price put pass on higher prices So if I'm needing to buy cotton and the country that produces cotton, let's say if India is producing a bunch of cotton, um, we as consumers are going to be willing to pay whatever the price is and they are going to benefit by being able to charge us whatever price it is that they want to charge. So there's Different geographies. There's different ways to think about how geographies are going to benefit. Um, there's different ways to think about how growth versus value benefits um, the fixed income. And so there are there are a myriad of different lenses that you can look to look through as you adjust your portfolio. Um, not massively, but certainly making small adjustments so that inflation won't be as detrimental to your portfolio and even can benefit.
0: Now, Adam, so in a, he's saying adjust your portfolio. Would you agree that? So my, my question is, I'm going to say it clunkily, is that what it sounds like what he's suggesting is to be reactionary, like when inflation hits, then adjust going forward. But is what your advice would be, would that be to be, to do that now, just in case inflation, hyperinflation happens? (laughs) Um,
1: I I wouldn't use the word reactionary. I'd use the word proactive, right? I mean, you certainly don't want to, uh, you know, I I think, you know, there's a fine line between actively trading and trying to time markets and looking at fundamentals of an efficient market system and looking at cause and effect. Right now, what Michael is talking about, though, there's a difference between when I say actively trading, the reason I don't I'm not a proponent of active trading for the average person is because you're you're over leveraging yourself on the assumption that your bet's going to win. And what Michael is outlining is not a all in bet. Okay, now he's, first of all, he's talking about using mutual funds. Okay, so you're already in a very well diversified basket of investments. And two, like let's use the value versus growth uh, uh, example. He's not saying in an inflationary environment, you know, growth stocks plummet to the red and value stocks explode to the moon that's not what he's saying. He's saying over time, value stocks relative to growth stocks overperform. So the question you would have to ask yourself is, okay, what's the upside? If if my projection, right, if in my proactive approach, I think inflation is going to be a factor, if I'm right, what's the upside? And if I'm wrong, what's the downside? And what you want is for that upside to heavily outweigh the downside. So in that scenario, the downside would be, Okay, inflation doesn't hit, and I'm slightly overweight to value stocks. But that doesn't mean value stocks are necessarily going to plummet or regress. It just means maybe you didn't capture the highest potential possible return in your portfolio. The downside, though, if you don't write protect against inflation, is that your purchasing power gets eroded at a rate that is unsustainable. Um, Conversely, let's look at at inflation-protected bonds, right? Tips. What tips are, for those that don't know, are treasuries issued by the U.S. federal government that, opposed to a non-TIPS bond, the bonds carry, they have a price, they have a coupon rate, but unlike a normal bond that when that coupon matures, right, and it just pays, let's say, the 5% that it states, a tip is going to have a, on balance, slightly lower coupon rate, but at maturity, there's, there's an unstated adjustment that is made for whatever inflation has been over that time right so let's say i have a five-year bond one inflation protected one not the non-inflationary protected bond let's say it's paying three percent i'm going to collect my coupon payments it's going to mature out i'm going to get my principal plus my coupon back at three percent that's that i move on and and make my next decision with an inflationary protected bond let's say it's paying two and a half percent over that time right and i'm just using numbers to make this simple over that three year period, I'm gonna collect that two and a half percent, okay? Now, I like three better than two and a half, But if over that time frame inflation's been one percent, I get two two and a half percent plus the one percent to account for inflation over that time frame. So now all of a sudden, I had a three and a half percent coupon rate. So in that scenario, what's the upside? The upside is I have not lost any purchasing power over the the duration of that bond. The downside is, uh, if I'm wrong, right? If inflation does not hit, okay. I took two and a half instead of three. Is that ideal? Is that the optimal scenario? No. But is that going to crater your portfolio? Certainly not, because otherwise it's 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 a standard bond. It trades like a standard bond. There's nothing mystical about an inflation-protected treasury. So, I, I think that's where I would kind of lead that conversation. Is it's not a a all-in type of decision that you're making. It's you know it's a proactive step that you're taking that if that scenario presents itself, you're better protected than you otherwise would be, but you're you're certainly you know limiting the floor on on what could happen to your
0: portfolio. Very well said. Michael, do you see that a lot of people miss this when they're constructing their portfolio? Do you feel like this is a common?
2: I would say most people, and and by most people, I mean, 90% of people probably have a recency bias. And so mm. I would say it's less of a people miss and more of a people are focused on what's happened in the last quarter, year, five mm. years.
1: Um, I love preach, Michael, because I to clients all day long, and this is the most prevalent bias, I think, in my opinion, that investors hold is recency yeah. bias. And it's yeah. a killer.
2: Well, and, and here's the thing, people will come to us and they'll ask, "Hey, instead of this 60/40 portfolio, why don't I get into this one?" And they show you one and you're like, "Wow, that's amazing performance over the last 5 years." Let's do a historical rolling 5-year look <laughs> see just to see, like, I mean, is do these guys always outperform by 3%, you know, cuz yeah, you should go with that one instead. And, and and what's interesting is you can look and you can find these these portfolios that have done amazingly well over the last ten years. And what you identify is that they are heavy growth portfolios that did incredibly badly over multiple other periods of time.
1: Didn't Heavily overweighted growth. to U.S. Heavily yeah. overweighted to U.S.
2: Mm-hmm. And 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 so. When people are like, oh, I love this, this recent performance, great. Um, Just curious, do you think that the next five years are gonna look exactly like the last five years? Because if so, you should definitely do this. What I believe, what we believe as a firm that um, the portfolio you should construct, the the ideal portfolio is one that when you look at it, it outperforms over many time periods, not just the most recent time period. So it's it's something that I think people overlook, not because they don't care about inflation, but because they're looking at the most recent period of time and saying inflation wasn't an issue. Mm-hmm. So when we look at it, we look at it and say, but what if it was? How would you protect yourself?
1: So uh, the example I always like to go to, and I could not agree. I mean, I don't, Michael and I disagree all the time. Um, he is hitting the nail on the head right here because what looking at, and I'm going to pick any time period. I don't care if you use a 10-year period. I don't care if you use a 20-year period. It is a, you're making an assumption that the last 20 years are the most important 20 years mm-hmm. or the last 10 years are the most important 10 years. And it's simply not true. It's a 10 year period, okay? But the issue with doing that, and that's why I'm such a proponent, like Michael is, of rolling periods, right? Of looking at any given investment set over a rolling period of time because it captures different parts of the market cycle. All right, let's just use a five year period. If you're looking at the last five years, if you pick the portfolio that, that performed best in the last five years, well, it performed really well in a very specific market environment. And unless the next five years are the exact same set of circumstances in the market, that portfolio is going to behave very differently. All right, so let's just look at what Michael just said. Portfolios that have done best over the last five years, very high allocation to growth stocks and very high allocation to US-based stocks. Okay, take that exact same portfolio and now let's look at 1999 to 2004. How would that portfolio have done? Yeah. Not very well. Asset Builder started January 2007. We've always been very well diversified. We will continue to be very well diversified. But look at what happened during that period of time, right? We gained a lot of business because we were one of the few people after the financial crisis in 2008 saying, hey guys, we've been globally diversified since day one. And everyone that just took a massive bath based on the financial crisis, you we were over allocated US equities. We look pretty good relative to that, right? Now, that same approach. In an environment where u.s equities are running away it doesn't look as favorable so part of our job as fiduciaries is to remind investors and remind clients of that right like don't forget about this time period just because we're further away from it does not make that time period any less if you look at it from a statistical standpoint if you're running a data set it carries the same amount of weight right it's not any less valuable when you're waiting how will this portfolio behave moving forward? It's not about looking back, it's about looking forward. And if, if I can get anything across, it's that. Stop judging decisions based on what happened. Make decisions based on what is most likely to happen going forward. Not on what you think is most likely to happen from an emotional standpoint, but what long data sets of, of research tells you is most likely to happen, right? And then just assume that you're probably gonna be wrong in some way, which that's why you diversify. That's why you keep your costs down.
2: Yeah. I was going to say, though, when when Adam said people think the most important 10 years of the last 10 years, they're not. It's the next 10 years. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. last 10 years are gone. So when you sit there and say, well, I, I wish I should have, could have, would have. Now I'm going to do what I should have, could have, would have. That's like looking at if if every day. However often the lottery is played, if every, you know week you go down and you're like what won last week okay give me those numbers why well because they were the winners last time if if somebody did that you'd say you're insane yeah. and we look at it and we're like well but this is different michael that's random chance yes agreed there's something called momentum and so momentum is a real thing that you can you know kind of use to implement but if you believe, if you honestly believe that nothing's gonna change tomorrow, uh, that it's going to look exactly like today, then you should be out looking at what happened today in the markets and you should be buying ex- the five biggest gainers from today will be the five biggest gainers tomorrow. That should be your philosophy. And it's not because intuitively, you know, that doesn't make sense. So by Mm -hmm. extension, you know, saying, well, the last five years, though, certainly the next five are going to look exactly like that. Probably not. Now, we're not trying to tell you what they will look like. We're not trying trying to tell you that they're going to look like 99 to 2004. Mm -hmm. But Adam's point is very valid that there is as much of a chance that it looks like 99 to 2004 as that it looks like 2007 to 2012. Like, yep. we just don't know. So build a portfolio that would have performed well in any of those time periods. That's what you need to do. Yep.
0: MIKE DROP. Nice.
1: No, like no it, pun intended. I would go off Michael drop if I were you, but that's OK. That would be <laughs> awesome. Yeah,
0: you can try it next time. Man, I like it better when you guys disagree. You guys are agreeing too much.
2: Sorry. you talk about One something. One of the things that I think we can all agree on is that if you were at 49 Financial, <laughs>
0: I'm going to let, I'm going to leave one in there just just because I'm surprised so much work for me. You guys can agree I'm surprised Michael hasn't made a
1: comment yet. For those listening, we all know Not how much hair? Michael likes to make fun of my hair. I can't believe there's been no comments made. I, I got a haircut. Because
2: so, it looks good? I
1: yeah. got a haircut.
2: Here's what's really I what I what I saw when I saw you is I saw you from the side and I was like darn
0: it, now he's really good looking. I know, it's so and
2: annoying. First it's, it's so
1: annoying. I went to go get the haircut in the evening, like after we put the kids down the next morning, the girls walk downstairs. And the first thing my daughter says to me is, you look like you're 19. I said, well, I don't know if that's a good thing. And also that's such a random number. Like why <laughs> 19? And I, I don't think that's necessarily good. This is when I really wish I could grow facial hair. And I, I can't. I'm looking at two dudes with relatively solid facial hair outputs, I mean, I am. Look at this you, guy. Can, you can count. It's never good if you can count the number of hairs on your face, <laughs> which you can easily do with me in like 30 seconds. So it's not a good thing.
2: Well, so so 19 is very specific. Mm-hmm. It, and she's how old? She's six. That's what I thought. Yeah. So for a six-year-old. To her, though, that's like 19. eight. So 19 to her is like. But it's know. funny because she thought of it as
1: young. because I, 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 This is the first time I've looked like this and she was probably three. So in her memory, I I was way younger back then. You know, that was a lifetime ago in her mind. Yeah.
2: 19.
1: Yeah. Yep. That's but funny. I'm I'm glad you approved, Michael. Your your jabs right. finally hit home and I finally started to feel insecure enough of myself that I thought I had to do something about this. <laughs> it's time. It's time. It's probably over over time, but I
0: appreciate the affirmation. It makes me feel nice and warm inside.
2: It looks, it looks beautiful.
0: What do you project will happen this year? given the government stimulus stuff?
2: Quickly, we can just say that the government has the opportunity to raise rates. And when they do, and and I think that's, if you're purchasing fixed income, that's your biggest fear, or one of your fears is that the government will simply raise rates. And when they do, that makes what you hold today worth less. Um, The government typically does that when they see inflation Um, picking up. We don't really know when they will begin raising rates, but we do know that what they've their publicly stated policy is that they're going to hold rates low for a while. It's not imminent that they're going to raise rates. So if you're worried that, hey, rates are going to get, you know, uh, we're going to see a quarter 25 basis point increase, you know, next Fed meeting, uh, probably not going to happen. So uh, don't make your long range decisions based on the Mm -hmm. next Fed meeting.
1: Right. And let me just add to that. Hopefully you're invested in index funds. So what, what we don't want you to do is panic based on what Michael just said, because one of the inherent characteristics of index funds is that, yes, it's going to hurt the value. In other words, the price, right? Let's just say you had an account and you hold nothing but bonds. The price of those bonds is going to go down, right? Relative to newly issued bonds if rates go up. But the income produced by that bond is still going to be what it was on the day that you bought it. So don't panic and sell at the worst possible time. Over time, that index fund is going to reconstitute as bonds within the fund mature out, and it will start to acquire bonds that have the, the more recent issued bonds that carry that higher interest rate. And over time, you will be a beneficiary of those higher interest rates. So just make sure you're thinking through, right? And, and all this is part of indexing. Have a well-diversified basket of bonds, potentially different uh, uh, durations uh, within those those bond allocations to make sure that you're you know getting different reactions to those interest rate hikes. But don't panic. Based on information, as Michael said, don't make your long-term decisions based off of short-term volatility. Yep, well said. Anything else? I don't think so. I think we've touched on it. If you have any questions, please hit us up. We like getting questions; it it uh, makes us feel like we're we're doing something worthwhile. So send yeah. any emails that you got to the podcast. We'll always reach back out and be as helpful as we can.
0: Thank you guys so much for your time, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Talk to you later. If you have a question for either Michael or Adam concerning this topic or anything else, please visit AssetBuilder.com slash podcast. There you can find their contact information as well as the show notes for every single episode. This podcast is intended for educational purposes only and is not to be construed as an offer, solicitation, recommendation, or endorsement of any particular security, product, or service. For more information, visit AssetBuilder.com.